These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm -hmm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. People just want to know that they're, they just want to know that they're safe to talk and share these things. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to Open Journal. Hope you're well. Hope things are good for you. I'm Mike and I'm delighted to say that this week we're joined by a new guest. Paul is going to be joining us. And this is one of those rare occasions where I get to say, I already know Paul. Paul is my friend. Um, so it's really nice to, to sit down with someone um, that I know that I've had lots of conversations with before and have a chance to hear a little bit more than I knew but also to share some of those conversations with you as well so uh, in our conversation for around an hour we're going to be talking about um, how music has impacted on Paul's life in terms of a professional creative but also competitive field uh, the impact that it's had on his mental health as well as well-being and kind of the impact that it has on some of his students that he teaches as well. So really interesting conversations, uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, uh, a big thank you to Paul for, for coming on and sharing those insights. And I think by the end of our conversation as well, there, there were a few things that we could have talked about a little bit more. So there's definitely a possibility of another conversation and episode in the future as well. As always, if you enjoy the episode, please do leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast yourself, you can find information about being a guest on the website, which is openjournalbc.com. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I absolutely love sitting down and having time to really chat with Paul and hear about his experiences. So a big thank you once again to him. Here's our conversation. It's lovely to sit down and have a chat with you, Paul. This feels very strange. We're not in the same room. Um, <laughs> how are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, had a good week. Um, kind of a mixture of some work and getting ready for schools to start back next week. Um, and some downtime. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It feels like actually coming around to going back into school in September being like kind of a normal time for the first time in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely with all the lockdowns and things. I've I've made a point this summer of making sure I had some actual set boundaries of downtime, um, whereas usually I end up getting busier and busier and don't have much downtime. So mm. I've made sure I've had that space to sort of relax and catch up with old friends and family and things, get out for days out and stuff. But yeah, it feels normal again, uh, definitely. 
Yeah, it's really cool to hear. I think it's still, it's definitely something I feel like a lot of the people I'm talking to, we have these conversations and this knowledge around well-being, but actually the way we practice it is not always in line with kind of how we speak about it. So really cool to hear you kind of had some of those times over the summer, I think. Um, I'm crossing my fingers. It feels like more people are actually doing what we're talking about now, um, yeah. but really good to hear that you've been able to to engage in that. And I think um definitely the last time we spoke it felt like you were kind of having those uh like catch-ups with friends and engaging with activities and we play a lot of board games so that's something that obviously is a big part of your kind of well-being mm -hmm. and, and the things that you do um are there things that you feel like you've been more able to do over the last few months as you kind of thought about like you know we've had the the warmer weather you've had a bit of time off like that kind of fed into how you've been over the last month or so um it's been more just a change of pace really rather than the rush that I have when schools are active because with my job I'm doing things in the evenings as well as stuff at schools during the day so having that space that I'm able just to program in two or three days of work and then just have space to go actually today I'm just going to watch some movies do some washing and do a bit of decorating or today I'm going to go and see somebody and catch up with old friends whatever it is like yeah there's nothing in particular I do but I've been very mindful of making sure I've had that time and making sure I'm able to say no to people more to work because mm -hmm. there's been a few things that have popped up that would have that were very short notice and actually the stress of doing those things would have been more detrimental to me than actually taking on that work. Does that feel like it's something that you're maybe more confident or more equipped to do now um because i definitely think that's a process to learn isn't it to be able to put those barriers in and actually stick to them i think it was actually lockdown that showed me like the first lockdown um being forced to take time off and being forced to take have space and try and restructure my sort of income as much as i could because it was still very reduced um but having that space and that time, and then even when schools went back, my work was still reduced. Um, so having that space kind of showed me that there was something I was missing by working so much and um, allowed me to kind of, yeah, I think you're right. It gave me that confidence to be able to say no and set more boundaries and go, do you know what, actually, Wednesday evenings, I'm not going to teach, I'm not going to work, or Friday afternoons, whatever it is. No, that sounds really cool it's really nice to hear and i think as well like knowing you it's really cool to kind of hear those things are now kind of a firmer part of your life as well and i think we mentioned and we kind of touched on a little bit there kind of your involvement within education and music mm -hmm. um i mentioned the board games but we we met originally around playing hockey so there's lots of different things that have been part of your life in terms of mm -hmm. activities and hobbies and and careers as well um, I guess for people listening and kind of where did your journey with with music start and kind of the profession that you have now like where did that originally come from um so I was taking it was a somebody I thought was cool in school was taking drum lessons and I thought that was awesome because I thought he was awesome he wasn't awesome but anyway um <laughs> I thought he was awesome at the time and I wanted to be his friend so I started taking drum lessons at the time um he stopped but I carried on and I really enjoyed it um and I did that all through school and then college years as well and was in a few bands and things. And then in my early 20s, I was working for a college and they offered me a teaching position, but the qualification was horrible. It meant I could only work there. 
um, and I couldn't move anywhere else. It was just an in-house thing. And I hated that idea of just being stuck forever. Um, so at that point I decided I've always had drums and music as kind of a hobby. And I decided at that point to take it more seriously. So I went off to university and studied for a degree in music performance. Um, and because I'd always worked in education since I was 14, really, I worked for my mum doing sort of part-time things where she ran a holiday club. So I've always worked with children and worked in various education sectors all through my life. Um, I knew coming out of that that I wanted, out of this degree, that I wanted to have a mixture of a career that was performance-based, but also education-based, because I just love working with kids, mm. always have. But that's, yeah, that's the real catalyst was when I was offered this teaching position that was actually awful, an awful deal. That was the catalyst that pushed me to go, mm, okay, it's time to do something else and time to take music more seriously. This is really interesting to hear. I think there's there's been conversations I've had recently on the podcast where people have come on and talked about um, how kind of music projects and community groups have kind of fed into some of their um kind of personal well-being but also kind of a community aspect um and people have also talked in the past about being a performer um and the different ways that that can come across in terms of how it supports but also sometimes can be detrimental to their well-being as well mm -hmm. um i know you've had that experience of both kind of performing and also teaching as well there's kind of a, a journey in there are, are there are they really two completely different things or are they connected to you they're definitely connected um I think, I think the performance side for myself anyway, came with a lot of stresses that were detrimental to me. Um, when I left uni and you sort of, when you leave as a musician and you're trying to, you're entering the rat race of other musicians trying to get work, there's a lot of Facebook groups and things that somebody will post an ad saying, I'm looking for a singer or a drummer or whatever it is. And you'll get maybe 20 replies, 30 replies on that with people putting their videos, people giving names, all of this sort of thing. It is a rat race. You're trying to compete for this work. Um, and it's quite stressful. And I've had lots of gigs where it's been extremely short notice. Um, I've not met any of the band. Maybe it's been a high profile thing with the producer and they've been really tough to work with. And I took the work on as a favor to somebody really last minute. There was one in particular I can remember that, that's in my head now, which was a Christmas gig. And it was a Michael Bublé tribute thing. And in my head, I was like, well, I play big band swing all the time, but actually it was very last minute and it had been notated. So the sheet music for it was meticulous to the drum part they wanted with exact solos, exact fills, everything had to be absolutely meticulous. There wasn't any space for interpretation and improvisation around it. Um, and the producer was in attendance and yeah, that was a really stressful one. Mm -hmm. So for me with education, um, while I think the stresses are different, the, the stresses for me as a, as a self-employed musician in education, because obviously that's different to mainstream teachers, um, the stresses for me come in because I'm assessing all the time, the stuff I teach, how I teach it, how I've approached it with every single student. I'm constantly sort of assessing what I'm doing, thinking how did this worksheet or how did this lesson go for this student? What would I change? What would I do? So I think the stresses for me through this style of work mainly come down to time management. 
because actually while I can assess and all this sort of stuff, that's not too bad. But as soon as you get to the busy periods, like towards the end of terms, when you might have reports for a school to do and they're going to eat up some of my evening time or a lot of my evening time, um, or it might be school performances and things, you start getting extra work being piled on top of that. While I might be still playing a wedding gig or a recording for somebody that weekend or that week, for mm -hmm. example. So um, the stresses are different, but actually over the years, I've reduced the amount of live performances I do in favor of more education um, for several reasons. One, that stress, that rat race is reduced a huge amount. Now I can just accept gigs and performances and recordings with people I know and that I enjoy working with. Um, and two, I had some arm injuries years and years ago, not related to drumming, through rock climbing, um, that kind of forced my hand at that point to focus more and more on my education side and push that. Um, and that kind of pushed me down that route even more. Um, but yeah, so I think the stresses are very different. I'm not having to turn up to play. For example, I've had situations where I've turned up to play somebody's wedding and I've not met anybody in the band and I meet them on the day wow. and we're setting up and you have a handshake and say, how do you do? And then you might discuss some of the songs in particular, if there's any different endings that that group of people play. Mm. Um, I played weddings before when actually only two of the members of the band are core members that are usually in that group and everybody else is depths as they call it. So everybody else has come in. So you're all meeting each other for the first time. And then that type of show you're expected or any type of performance at that level or above, you're expected to be at the top of your game. You want to mm. be playing everything as perfectly as possible. I say that with a pinch of salt because it depends on the band you're with and their level of how relaxed they are because some bands are like, ah, if that ending is a bit washy, it's not the end of the world. Whereas others do strive for that perfection. For example, that producer I mentioned. Mm. Um, so yeah, it depends heavily on who you're working with in those situations, but yeah, I do prefer the education side. Definitely feels like a, a lot of different experiences. Like you say, I can see mm. how they're connected and thank you for sharing that. I think it's, yeah really interesting how that assumption that kind of one career can very much kind of branch off into different routes and the different journeys they go through and one thing you mentioned um around kind of your injury I think is really interesting that you are kind of you're forced into a, an aspect of change where you can't do as much as what you'd wanted or what you were doing before um and I think when that's it seems like music is not just a career for you it's part of a it's a it's a passion it's a thing that you do and Absolutely. you enjoy to, yeah. to have to change your role to that because of an injury did that have some sort of an impact on kind of how you saw music or how you engage with other activities um it affected my practice so as a musician um all musicians have to practice their craft but that will be at varying levels depending on where they're at and what mm. they're doing um, at the time of my injury, I was practicing probably three to four hours a day as well as work. So I was putting in huge amounts of time. So that might be actually on the drum kit, working through exercises and patterns or learning songs, or that might be in the evenings, I would sit with the practice pad, working on different patterns while watching Netflix and things. Um, 
but I would yeah easily get three or four hours of practicing after the injuries um that really reduced really reduced and now it tends to be when I'm working on a few little specific things rather than having a stack of books that I'm working through at the time now it tends to be like I'm working through one book at the moment and just to treating it as more fun because I'm not trying to put this into lots of lots of applications it's more a study and enjoyment um but yeah the injury had a big effect on me um it was a, mentally a really tough time because I'd gone from extremely busy and extremely active in a similar way to lockdown to suddenly not being able to do those things mm. um I mean this injury was horrible I it was tendonitis in both elbows with issues with my older nerve as well um and I ended up having an operation but the injury was to such an extent that even washing my hands was painful even walking the dogs and holding their leads was painful so I was very very limited in what I could do um which was yeah really tough which was how I got into board games funnily enough because that was something I could do with my time a friend of mine at the time oh. was designing some board games and um yeah he invited me along to play one evening and that's how I discovered that and discovered modern board games and how fantastic they are. But it gave me an outlet that I was able to be sort of socializing with people. I was able to be busier mm. um, without having to use my hands. It's really interesting. It kind of draws like a lot of comparisons in my head between like sort of sporting injuries, like when it's mm -hmm. someone's career and a passion, and then you go into that process where you're, you're not able to do that and you kind of need or in my head I think you need to find other things to do because it's such a um such a withdrawal from something that does support your well-being and probably at that stage you don't necessarily considering it um you're not considering it like a well-being or a mental health related thing you're just like oh I do this because it makes me feel happy or it keeps me going and then when those things aren't there we don't always have that knowledge or that education around okay, you're not able to do this. Actually, you really need to for not just physical activity, but mentally to fulfill that kind of that purpose with something else. Um, so really beneficial to hear like you had that opportunity through a friend to kind of pick up a different activity and kind of um, discover that and now have that as something that sits alongside music now that that's kind of come back in. Um I'm also really interested like that that kind of journey where there will have been a time it sounds like when you were more focused on the performing um mm -hmm. and you kind of made that conscious decision to shift across to to teaching and to working with younger people and supporting them in, in kind of discovering music as well mm -hmm. um like was there a, a particular moment or a particular decision or time that kind of really led you into kind of that career path that you're in now um so after those injuries, my education side had really boomed. Um, I'm not sure how many students I was at at that point, but now I'm, I see around 150, I think more than that students a week. And that's across um, various styles of teaching, whether that's one-on-one -on -one, or I teach a few class groups of um, drumming sort of sessions. Um, and that's every single week. Those are regular students I see. Um, but after those injuries, that those numbers were building up and at the same time I'd come out of the other side of the injuries I'd had the operation and done all the physio and things and I was getting back into the performance and I was doing some performing things and doing some gigs and stuff um and I think I'd had a few very stressful gigs and I don't think those were particularly the reason that made me go do you know what actually I don't want to do this as much 
Um, I've always enjoyed the performing and I enjoyed that sort of adrenaline side of that performance. Mm. Um, but I think it led more sort of as we now getting into sort of lockdown territory, um, that was the next catalyst that then sort of all those gigs stopped, all those gigs stopped, absolutely. So I was down to sort of Zoom teaching um, and Skype teaching and things. Um, so after that, it was a case of, well, actually, I kind of want to pick and choose my gigs rather than being in this rat race. So ever since 2020 has been, I, I'm probably 99%, 95, yeah, around 95% teaching and 5% I can just pick and choose gigs. Mm. I mean, there's other things as well. I still do recording and things. I still do, still do um, drum recording or percussion recording and things. Um, but again, I can choose as and when I schedule those in. Um, but yeah, there's been a few, few sort of things that have sort of changed the way I've approached stuff. Definitely. Interesting to hear kind of that overlap with the lockdowns as well. I think like you mentioned, kind of almost like you had started to go in that direction already and we're really doing that work. And I think it's, it does feel very noticeable um, with conversations, people that were trialing, piloting different things at that period mm -hmm. um, had an outlet to move across to. And I think um, it makes me mindful of that was a really kind of positive and opportunistic kind of thing at the time that fortunately you've already got this other thing in place um, rather than having to discover it or search around for it at a later stage. Are there things, because we never know what's coming up next, it's always nice to have kind of different things that you're trialling or testing out. Are there things at the moment that you're sort of testing or trying different aspects of how you interact with? It could be music, but it could be other things as well. Um, not so much through the lockdowns. And as I said, I've, I've been looking at Skype and Zoom tuition and things. Um, that's carried on. I still mm. see quite a few students via Skype. I've seen somebody today through Skype. So I've got some students that travel um, over an hour to come and see me. Mm. Um, so those students in particular will see me one week on Skype or a couple of times through a week on Skype for a few of them. And then the following week, they come and see me in person. Um, so that's just continued. So having that facility to be able to do those lessons and teach in that, in that manner, um, learning that through lockdown, has just sort of safeguarded me a little bit for the future mm. that I'll be able to offer that much more comfortably. Um, Cause I've always been set up here for recording things, but now I've got the facility to interact with that video element as well. Um, and also how I structure my lessons. I'm much more prepared because I've had that experience mm. of, for example, I was talking to a student today and they had a worksheet that didn't have any sort of writing on of sort of we put counting on the on the pages so students can count through different sections of rhythms and they had an older version that didn't have any of this counting on I said well actually I can swap this with one that I've done for a Skype student because the Skype students I put all of the counting on pre-done because then for somebody in person they might for example um, have a question about a certain excerpt of the music and mm -hmm. we can look at that little bit and I can write out that little part above it but they don't need anything else written up above okay. whereas for a skype student i write on everything because they might not have um or rather if they have any questions 
I'm not able to write on it for them. Mm, mm. And if it's already all the information's there, they've got it all prepared. Um, that does change a little bit for some of my adult students. I'm talking more about my sort of um, anywhere from age five to age 18 students, I would have that pre-prepared. But for the adult students, it changes slightly for most of them. But even still, there's a few that I would, depending on the level they're at, have everything pre-written out and ready to go. Um, but it's through lockdown that I sort of learnt to prepare in that way. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, in terms of if something came around the corner, I think I'm very well set up for delivering a huge amount of what I do currently through this medium. That sounds really good though, because it adds such a like, don't know, like it's a portfolio to your work, isn't it? It gives mm -hmm. those different opportunities. Like we've had it um, in my workplace where um we were we were just a face-to-face -face. i think there was some telephone support um and then through the lockdowns having to offer video support or online kind of comms and now moving forward it's like okay now how do we staff and add capacity to deliver both of these or have both of these as an option mm -hmm. and i think that's really valuable moving forward when you hear people talk about this is a skill like you're talking it's a skill set i've learned it's mm -hmm. a way to um add more accessibility to the people that i'm supporting or working with or you know educating um and it's not a like how do i kind of phase this out it's actually not, this is now added something to the repertoire of how i can deliver a session or deliver training or educate and I think that's really um it's really positive to hear but really interesting as to the different ways that people are doing that as well um and i think kind of imagining that moving forward like you say it just it adds so much more to different ways people can engage with you you mentioned there as well kind of the the younger people and the adults and um the like the number of people that you've educated and interacted with there must be a lot of different conversations that you're having around kind of well-being and the hobbies and how people have started in music and the different aspirations they maybe have from it do you th do you kind of see or think that there's a different approach to how um, people are entering into like this kind of creative field now to when you started and you were talking about earlier that those early opportunities um, that you'd had? Is it very similar? Is it different? Like, is, are there comparisons there? Um, I think I think it's all very similar. So I've got lots of students that see me in schools. Um, that are having lessons in exactly the same way as I had lessons. However, the schools I teach in, I'm able to see a lot younger. So I teach students as young as year, uh, year one, sorry. Um, so four or five year olds. Um, and then that goes all the way up to sort of year 11 or even sixth form. Um, and I had the same opportunities, but only from year seven when I was at school. Um, yeah, so I think in terms of aspirations, for the students, it's all down to the individual students. I've got one student that I used to teach that's at music university at the moment. Um, I had another one, uh, several that have gone through music university and or college. Um, one that's pursuing a career in music at the moment um, and several others that were that are now going off in a different direction. One of my old students has gone into the Royal Marines. So these sorts of things like there's mm avenues there that I can help point them in and guide them in that direction um, if that's what they want to do it's and the style I have is the, the lesson is all about the student my my lessons aren't 
one size fits all. It's everything I do. I've got an entire sort of catalog of resources I can dive into because everything I do is structured around the student, what they want to get out of it. And we'll talk about their aspirations and what they want to achieve and whether that's exams, exams, because you can take exams in music, whether it's not, lots of students don't want that added pressure of having to do an exam. Um, so it really is down to the individual and what they want out of it. And I'm happy to guide them on that journey. That's really interesting. I feel like I say interesting quite a lot. It's because I find everything quite interesting and I get to have conversations with people that have these this knowledge and this expertise in fields that I have either very limited or none. Um, but no, it's interesting you mentioned that. I think I'm also mindful that, um, I'm going to make a slight assumption, younger people are more uh, articulate or educated in, in kind of mental health and well-being, and maybe more in tune with that as well. Do you think that that feels like it's kind of fitting into how you're seeing people approach not necessarily music specifically, but um, something that could be a hobby and a well-being tool, as we've mentioned, or potentially a career as well. Are there different approaches from young people to to this field? Um, again, I think that's it comes down to the individual. I teach a lot of well-being and sort of talking about mental health with students and how they can approach the the instrument and make sure that they're in a positive mindset and being kind and gentle to themselves through their, their craft and how they're practicing. Um, but in terms of the actual students and sort of how they approach it on their own, it, it, it really does, it varies from student mm. to student. Um, I've got some adult students that are quite stuck in their ways um, because that's how they've lived their lives and, and they find change in approach quite difficult whereas I've got lots of other adult students as well that that are very um open and sort of that sounds mean on the other ones but it it's not that at all it's I think it people are so individual in in everything they do basically is the short answer um so again it really does come down to individuals and for example if there is a student talking about the adult ones that sort of popped into my mind that find it difficult when I suggest things um for me, again, the lessons are all about them. So it's mm. about me. If I if I can see something somebody needs to put into practice to help them and they're, they've not connected to what I've said, it's about me finding a new way of saying it or finding a new approach for them that works, that's different to what I was mm. thinking initially. Um, whether that's to do with their mental health, whether that's to do with the subject they're studying, whatever it is, it's I've got to... I see every student and have to see every student as a puzzle almost. And I've got to find the right piece that fits for them because one piece for one student that works perfectly is not going to work for all the others. So sure. I think it's really, it's really interesting to uh, <laughs> hear you say that because um, there's a couple of images that pop into my head when you were saying that. And um, one of them was a, a university lecturer that I had and he was, um, I think he was on a, like a, he was one of our business lecturers and he was uh, part-time. So he lectured part-time and then the other part-time he worked in one or two businesses. He was clearly very, very well um, versed, very knowledgeable, had great level of expertise within his field. Um, but in terms of coming in to 
teach personally he was awful right he could tell us things but he couldn't teach us things um and if you had any questions the response was essentially the same thing but shorter and maybe louder um like there, there was no ability to like re-examine it or explain it in a different way or kind of understand like this student just doesn't get it i need to think about how to explain it differently and you're talking about that adaptation that thinking about this puzzle piece fits here but not necessarily for someone else fits so much more with um the way i i see now more modern conversations around sort of healthcare particularly mental health where we talk about like oh if you've experienced going to the gp or going to see a particular counselor and that person wasn't quite for you like mm -hmm. that doesn't mean the whole service isn't it's that one individual piece, that one individual practitioner, just the two of you didn't relate or didn't have a great rapport. Um, and it's trying to encourage someone to try again with a different yeah. practitioner. It's not a skill that everyone has. Um, and I think sometimes we make that assumption that just because someone is good at performing or actioning something, they can uh educate or teach someone else to do it and it's just not always the case and i think that really kind of really nicely shows the difference there i've seen that a lot not only as a student i saw that a lot definitely that my music university in particular there was a lot of different styles through the teachers and you'd you'd almost want to choose what which you'd almost want to choose the, when you had the question, you want to choose the specific tutor for that question. Mm. Uh, because if you went to the wrong tutor with that question, not necessarily the wrong tutor, but the wrong tutor for me, mm. um, the way they would explain it wouldn't work. Mm. Whereas other tutors, so do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, finding the sure. puzzle for that, I'd need to think of it as when I was at uni, finding the right tutor that was the puzzle piece for the puzzle I was trying to solve yeah um, yeah and sure. that I've got lots of examples of that like um so okay so here's one so uh, I'm a dyslexic person um I it's just part of what I do and through that at university I had a, a huge amount of help because um I was able to sort of it was at university I discovered I was dyslexic and they showed me sort of lots of traits that I have within my personality that come from that so um for example i have a very short-term memory um so i now uh, and ever since uni make a lot of lists and for all my students i have a diary and i color code my diary so if there's something i need to do it will be in this diary mm. and it will be color coded and unless i've ticked it i know i need to do it so i have to be very organized and i have to write things down it needs to be written down for myself for it to happen i actually find it better writing on paper than i do on a computer mm. so i actually have actual little books that i write in for all my various sort of teaching places that i go um so these tactics that i discovered that i needed to put in place that didn't change my life drastically but I actually just made it easier because for me understanding if you have dyslexia and other sort of learning difficulties it's not i don't see it as a learning difficulty i see it as a way of people's brains work in different ways. So understanding how my brain worked is the, the process I went through at university with the help of their amazing support team. Um, so now as, as I'm working full time, blah, 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 because obviously that was many years ago now, um, I have all these sort of little tactics that are just ingrained mm. that, for example, 
if we've got a board game evening, it needs to go in my diary. Mm. Otherwise, your message would be go, we're still on for tomorrow. And I'll be like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I have to write things down. I have to be organized with myself because it doesn't stay in my head. And actually, it's, it is to a level that I can be out with friends. I was out with an, one of my oldest friends recently, and he, would, he brought up our previous time that we were out with him and his children. And he said, oh, yeah, this really funny thing happened because we're gone to go wait. Um, and this really funny thing had happened where I'd like, gone down a zip wire and slid on my bum and the kids found it hilarious. Mm. I have zero knowledge of it. Like, it's not <laughs> staying in my head at all. But for them and for him, it's a very visual thing. But for me, it's one of those things that just disappears. It's happened. I experience the day and it's just gone. And yeah. unless I write stuff down um it doesn't stick and I don't keep a diary of my life or anything because I just experience it as I go but if it's things like special meetings or that I have a student coming or whatever mm. it is it has to go down in my diary but um yeah so through uni that's how I sort of learned about that and I can't remember what your original question is <laughs> sorry I think um, it spiralled off different thoughts in my head as well now. It did. I've already gone on to the next bit. Um, I think we were talking about the, the ability to teach and the difference between teaching okay, and teaching. Yes, and yeah. I was giving yeah. out some examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the example I was trying to give, but then I went <laughs> up an entire, entire spiral. So I always say to the students, there's no such thing as a stupid question, because actually, if they have a question, mm. it's because, A, I've not explained it yet. We've not gone down that path. We've not explored it. B, I've explained it, but it's just not stuck for them. The way I explained it was not for them. So mm. it's just not stuck. Or C, they had a mental blip. They'd lost con concentration for a minute. They were, their brain had gone to breakfast, whatever it is. And it's just not stuck. So any of those reasons, doesn't matter to me. They haven't, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Mm. So for me, when I was at university, there was a couple of things that just hadn't stuck. So um, I just... Yeah, it, I'd gone through a lot of my uni life sort of going, there's this thing that I don't know about. And like, I'm not sure what to do about that. Like, it's just become a bit of a, a bit like when you forget somebody's name and then you've known them for a while and you still don't know their name. Um, <laughs> a bit that, a bit like that kind of feeling, you know? Totally, but, totally. Um, Who would do that? <laughs> <laughs> so the thing was, there's a word in music called an ostinato. And it's all about rhythms that repeat and over and over again. So I had to, this word had been used a lot and it just hadn't stuck with me. So it wasn't until I sat down with one of my tutors and I said, look, this feels embarrassing, but I don't know what this word means. Mm. It just doesn't stick. And the way he explained it just for me just clicked. Mm. And he was doing exactly that. He could see that I'd experienced other people explaining it it hadn't sat well so he found another way of explaining it, and that was the piece of the puzzle that just stuck a bit like when you're remembering your pin number or like the combination mm. to a lock or something like there's certain ways you can remember that that code that just sticks in your head um so yeah so for students like i if they have any questions i'm happy to answer that question to find another path that mm. if it's a something I've spoken about with them before that hasn't stuck figure it out um but yes I've experienced lots of teachers through my education that were very sort of like they're gonna they have a very straight line way of thinking this is the subject this is mm. the content you need to listen if you miss it that's on you and I've also come across that huge amount 
a huge amount when I was in college and university, but a huge amount when I'm working in education as well. I see lots of different styles of teaching um, because, again, it's everybody's individual um, and they've come from different backgrounds and different educations themselves and different experiences themselves. Um, but I do find it frustrating sometimes when I've worked with sort of teachers and whether that's directly or indirectly as well. Um, and I can see that students are struggling with the content they're teaching and that teacher is getting angry with the student because of that rather than actually looking within themselves i mean sure kids play about they're going to mess around and try and wind you up sometimes yeah that happens but <laughs> but again it's even in that situation it's about finding a tactic that works it's finding the puzzle piece that works for that child um to help them get the best out of their education for sure for sure and i think um particularly i don't know in my head because of the the kind of the creative style and the potential well-being impact of a subject of a creative subject of an art subject of music i think um it feels like in my head it feels like a slightly different role in terms of those conversations and that understanding and, and what it can be um i don't know if it is different to other subjects it's just kind of how i'm thinking of it that that more um formal um way to talk about or to learn certain subjects maybe is needed or is better suited for some um again i don't know maybe it's not um but i do i do think that there have been an a number of times when I kind of thought of music as a as a well-being tool rather than like uh, not just a career or a form of education it's also this other thing that kind of fits in the middle and I think there are a few few other subjects that I feel like that fit within that now that could be mm -hmm. my lack of education or knowledge on some of those other areas I don't know how you make science mindful but I'm sure you could um but I think that's that side of actually encouraging someone and enhancing like their their passion for a subject, I think, becomes really important. I mean, maybe music isn't your subject. Maybe it's something else. But when it's an again, my language, in it, when it's an arts subject, I mm. think that's really important to encourage and to nurture people. And if there are bits that they're not understanding or not quite getting there's it feels like there's more space for conversation there yeah I don't know if I'm just am I off in no, a no really I, different... I think you're right I think you're right um I think a lot of students in schools come to music because they enjoy that creative side and then a lot of students come to music because it's a change of pace and it's something a bit different um I mean from my experience anyway mm. I, I could be talking like other people could have had completely different experiences but um but then I also know a few students that treat the music room that I don't personally teach but in some schools see music as a bit of a um a dos a bit of a escape that and they're not really engaged in the music but they're not having to be engaged in maths mm. um but it's interesting you the the thing that stuck in my head was when you said about how you can make science mindful. And I was thinking about well, the, the amount of hours sort of over the years I put into practicing my craft and playing the drums. Um, you do get very meticulous. And I think 
I was thinking as you said that sort of well actually while I'm not a scientist I could see a scientist sort of developing a skill set and really enjoying honing their skills in an area and pushing themselves um but I expect in a similar way to music like that perseverance and that drive to better yourself comes with those risks of mental health issues as well mm. because as I said to you before in a previous conversation like it can be really competitive um and I know through university there was a real competitive feel um with a couple of tutors in particular um because they were they were laying it down laying it straight to us saying when you leave mm. there's like what maybe a hundred drummers that were going to qualify with their degrees finish their education with their degrees and get those but that's just one uni in the UK how many other unis are doing this degree or a similar degree and how many other drummers are going out into the world going I'm going to be a pro drummer so you sort of there's a real competitive edge when you're there and I know that was a big driving factor for me in a positive way at the time mm. less so after uni but I knew that for example I had a friend called Martin and he would get me out of bed in the morning not because he was phoning me but because I knew he'd be at the sort of the university waiting to go in at 8am to go and practice whereas everyone else was still in bed because they'd been out the night before mm. so I was getting up early to, even if I'd had a late night because I was like Martin will be practicing I need to go and practice mm. not because not in a competitive against Martin kind of way we were friends and still are um but it was a case of his drive was a sort of it it was friendly competition like when you're at the gym with somebody and mm. they go a little bit harder on the treadmill you're going to go a little bit harder not because you want to beat them just because that friendly competition is is really good for squeezing out that extra few percent that you can get in um it's that inspiration and, that, and motivation isn't it that kind yes, of goes alongside yeah. like you say there's an element of competition in yeah. a, like the most friendliest of ways but it's that yeah being driven by someone else and being able mm -hmm. to actually see it like you say to have a friend that's there not like oh in another uni somewhere else I can't see there might be someone else that's getting up and practicing yeah yeah and doing all these hours yeah um but yeah the, the, there's a big competitiveness and when you leave as I spoke about previously the sort of rat race of trying to get all the gigs there's a lot of competitiveness mm -hmm. there um and the life of a musician I find or I've personally found it can be and I know speaking to lots of friends actually it can be very up and down because when it's going well while your practice is going well while the gigs are coming in it feels great but like you might miss a few practices you might have a period where you're everything you're doing with your playing and performing feels really stiff and you feel tight while playing and it just doesn't feel good mm -hmm. and that can cause a really mental dip a real mental dip and I often describe it to students a bit like a roller coaster like the life of a musician and we need to learn how to deal with those dips in the roller coaster to enable us to get back to those climbs that feel amazing and those sort of highs that feel amazing so a lot of my or not a lot of my but um, a big part of the way I teach um, sort of surrounds this sort of methodology for students mm -hmm. that allows them to sort of access that when they're on those low periods and we talk a lot about that in the lessons because sometimes students come and they've just had an awful week whether it's at school or at home or something and it's had a knock-on effect of course it has to their their music as well and they've they're just feeling quite low within themselves and it's about finding a way of helping them connect to the music 
that then helps them have a bit of a release from mm. whatever else has been going on in their lives. Um, but then helping them connect to that music in a way that they can build from it positively. Because if you just, if you're feeling really low and someone sticks you in a room and go, cool, you're gonna learn this thing, it's gonna be really difficult. <laughs> so you've got to approach it in a certain way. So for example, um, one thing I teach all of my students to do just as a rule of thumb as standard when, whenever we practice, the typical thing we all do when we're learning, not just an instrument, I don't think, but probably any, any sort of subject, is you'll go in with the thing you find easy naturally. You're going with the thing you find mm. easy first. And you're like, yes, this feels great. I'm, for example, in music, I'm drumming, I'm playing this, this song, I love this song. Then you finish playing that song, you're like, oh, that was amazing, that felt great. And then you, you think to yourself, oh yeah, I'm working on that thing in my lessons with Paul, I need to look at that. So you pick out that thing from their worksheets and that's what I describe as a medium thing. So the medium thing is something they're working on at the moment that is going okay. If they concentrate, they can do it and actually they can see some progress happening over sort of one or two practice sessions. Mm -hmm. So that's their medium thing. Then they move on to the hard thing. The hard thing is something that basically blows their mind. It's, it's hard coordination, it's hard reading, it's a hard sort of exercise to play or a new pattern they've got to work through. And every time they approach it, they have to really slow down and it's, it's hard to stay in that headspace. Um, and you can feel it, like I was talking to a student yesterday that was experiencing what I describe as a drummer headache, which is essentially how I feel if I've been working on something hard for a long period of time, it feels like you've just lifted something really heavy Mm. feels like you've had to either either you've been to the gym or you've been in the garden whatever it is but you lifted something really heavy you can feel your nervous system has taken a bit of a hit you feel just I don't know it's kind of fuzzy through your body it's a strange feeling and you've got a bit of a headache but um they were experiencing that so in that instance I sort of we tailored their lesson to go in a slightly different direction for a few minutes to allow their headspace to regain some of that Headroom, essentially. Mm. I describe it to them as um, I always use the idea of a submarine movie when the water's coming in. Okay. And when we're practicing, when we start practicing, the water's just come in. We can think, we can picture this door to get out, and we're thinking, oh yeah, I've got to go through that door. I've got to try and get out. And how am I going to do that? I've got to try and plug the leak. But as the water's been coming in, as we've been practicing for a long period of time, and it's a difficult thing we're doing, the water's got higher. And now we're having to just kind of breathe through this sort of tiny air gap mentally. Like, this is how I'm thinking about it. Mm. And then we've got to swim down to try and do the thing. So the stress level that we're experiencing is going up and up and up. So quite often when students are getting there, and I can see it when they're playing in this drum room and they're practicing things with me. I can see when they're building up to this level. So often what I will do is then I will tell them this story, this exact story, it might mm. be, or it might be another story and we'll talk about something else they're looking at or we're talking about something completely different unrelated to drums. And what that will do is I will visibly see this student relax more and mentally that water level is going down, right? And then when I say, okay, actually, do you know what? It's been a few minutes. Do you want to try that exercise again? And 99% of the time, they're going to nail it that first time back of playing it because that mental water level's come down. Um, all I was going to say, I can see you waving your hand. You <laughs> but, I was just thinking of like the, the um, again, like the comparison with, with kind of sport and physical activity where you yeah. have like the the um oh I can't remember what it's called now uh there's like the peak performance and peak stress mm -hmm. and things like that 
fits yeah. very much with that. Like you can spend time here and this is where probably you do your best work, but you can't stay here. Um, mm-hmm. It really fits into that. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you're in the gym lifting weights and you're lifting however many sets and how many reps you're lifting the heavy thing. If you go, if you decide, you know what, I'm going to stay in the gym for two hours today and keep doing those reps. Actually, those extra reps, while you're doing them, actually you're doing more damage to the muscle than you are any gain mm. gains as you're going to mm. sort of get from being in the gym because you've gone past the point where your muscle is reacting to this stimuli and now getting to a point where you're actually damaging the muscle. And this is where you end up with more and more sort of onset doms like a day or so afterwards um, because you've overworked that muscle or done something a new exercise but going back to what i was saying about the um the hard thing the easy Mm. thing and the medium thing this is something i implemented myself after uni it's something i taught myself to do because i found and i see it all the time in students if we start with the hard thing then we do the medium thing by the time sorry if we start with the easy thing then we do the medium thing by the time we get to the hard thing mentally we're exhausted Mm. so what happens is you do the fun thing for like let's say a student's practicing half an hour they can do the fun thing for maybe 15 minutes because it's fun they want to keep doing it feels great then they move to the medium thing they do that for 10 minutes and then they get to the hard thing and they don't stop because they're out of time because it's half an hour but actually because they're mentally exhausted so now this hard thing not only remains a hard thing because they've not been able to give it that time, mm. but actually their mental sort of feelings towards playing their instrument has taken a downward turn. If you picture a graph, it's gone down because they started on a real high. This feels great. I can do this. They made a bit of progress on the medium thing. It's like, oh, okay, this is a bit harder, but mm-hmm. I made a bit of progress. And then they got to a hard thing and it's just like, oh, I can't even do this. Like what? And I see, I've done this a huge mm. amount of time. I've seen it to a lot of students like, why am I even trying? Like, I can't even do this thing. This thing that I've been given is way too difficult. Oh, I'm just going to play the easy thing like next time because that feels good. This doesn't feel good being in this place where I'm working really hard here. So I teach students to approach it the other way around. We start with the hard thing. We might have a little warm up before. Mm. We start with the hard thing. And the focus isn't what progress we make. I don't care what progress I make or they make doing the hard thing at all. The effort and the sort of um, overlying thought needs to be on, I'm doing the hard thing and I'm going to set a timer. And I do this with all my students, set a timer, five, 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes of working on the hard thing. When the timer goes off, you stop and you praise yourself because actually staying in that headspace, mm-hmm. in that stress level for that period of time is difficult. Same as staying on a treadmill at that speed for a period of time is difficult. So they're going to work on that hard thing for let's say five minutes or 10 minutes praise themselves oh wow like i can't do that thing at all i can't play that thing yet but actually i tried for five minutes i tried for 10 minutes yesterday i didn't yesterday i gave up Mm. two minutes in so the fact that i did 10 minutes today that's really cool then they do the medium thing it's like oh man i've made a bit of progress today. this feels good then they get to the fun thing so suddenly you see that this sort of graph in my head this mental mm. graph is going up mm. and suddenly they're leaving their drums feeling inflated rather than deflated now actually i always go back to that that was a um oh what's the comedian adam hills mm. yeah, comedian yeah. he does lots of he's an australian comedian does last lots leg. on channel four yeah last leg um but he had a dvd years ago called inflatable and he very much talks about this idea of 
two, uh, two groups of people. You're either an in inflator that when somebody spends time with you afterwards, they feel very much sort of inflated mentally and happy and bubbly and people that are a bit of a deflator. And I sort of teach students to do that mentally to themselves because our inner thoughts aren't always kind to mm. us. And actually, if we can put in this system that we're teaching ourselves to be kind to ourselves and have positive practices, then we've got much better chance of playing the drums the next day and the next day and the next day. And then as you go through that process, you learn that actually for myself, I love being in that hard zone. I love it. And actually I have had many times where I've been working on something difficult and it won't be five or 10 minutes. It will be an hour, mm. two hours maybe, but I'll be in that really stressful hard zone because I'm just working through that thing and I'm able to stay within that space, that head mental space, and then work on that exercise and get it to a point that actually it's gone from a really hard thing at the beginning of today to now a medium thing, because actually it, it was starting to get there at the end. And there's obviously different approaches and tactics I give to students and myself to, to allow you to achieve that, whether you're doing five minutes or 10 minutes or an hour or whatever it is, um, because you can't just run at an exercise if it's difficult. You've got to approach it in some different ways to allow you to get there. So I call it um, breaking the exercise up by parts. So mm -hmm. just doing the hands, just doing the feet, whatever it is, um, just doing that little part of it. Breaking it up by beat. So splitting the piece of music into a bar to begin with, and then just doing beat one, beat two, beat three, beat four. So subdividing it into little chunks. Think of a cake. You're cutting it into a smaller cake to approach it. More Same as when we did GCSEs and mm -hmm. it was bite-sized revision yeah um slowing it down which is infinite and i describe it with my um sort of my teenage students as sarcastic speed i imagine <laughs> you were really annoyed with me and i asked you to play this exercise how slow are you going to play it and they've got siblings and things and they know how to do something really slow to wind someone up but it's not winding me up it's the opposite <laughs> they're now playing something so slow that what I do when I'm doing it slow is I will play and I go, right, beat one. Oh, it's my snare drum with my left hand. Okay, it's the and of one. Okay, this is my right hand on this coordination. So if I'm going super slow because it's something really hard, I'm talking to myself in sentences about every little aspect of what I'm doing. Mm. Um, so speed can be infinite. You can go as slow as you need to. Um, and then I get students to work through those three things when they're on a hard something, whatever it is. Mm. And then when they get... If they get to a point that this is getting easy, fantastic. It's getting better. It's getting easier. They can, it's now turning into an exercise. They feel that their, their stress levels come down. They relax more while playing it. Um, if it's not, if it's something that's still difficult, we take a short break. Like we don't leave the room, but we might talk about something else. We might play a different thing that they're doing at the moment because all of my students are working on multiple things. It's not mm. just one thing that we do every single week. Um, so we might take a short break from that really hard thing, do something different and come back to it. Or we might talk about something else, whether it's most of the time drum related, not always. So, for example, one of my students today recently had a birthday in the last week. So I asked them what they got for their birthday. What was their favorite thing? So it just gave their brain something else. Just to think that about. it breaks it up a little bit. Yeah, in absolutely. Mm, mm, mm. So, yeah, so I'm always teaching students. That idea of starting with the hard thing, progressing up to easy things, so we feel inflated, but also giving them all these tactics they can employ to allow them to sort of work on that hard thing and not just feel like they're running at a brick wall. Because that's what it'll feel like otherwise. It sounds really, it, 
also the the things you've mentioned are very much kind of outlooks on on how you could manage well-being in a lot of different areas as well Mm -hmm. so um while it's relevant to to kind of our conversations around music here i think there are definitely ways that you can manage that i think you even use it in your your term for for how when you're working but it can be on anything so Mm. i think a really interesting point to to kind of round off our our conversation as well with something that you can maybe go away and if you're listening in thinking about how you can maybe incorporate those those sections that kind of the medium the hard and the the easy and is it something that you're doing already because there are definitely times when I think looking back going oh I've kind of done that sometimes but definitely not all the time am I doing that and maybe the times I'm doing it are the times when I happen to be more productive or feel like I'm getting more out of it or just generally feel nicer than the times when I'm not doing it in that way um but it'd be really interesting if people have heard we've we've talked already about possibly having another conversation um later mm-hmm. on this year where we talk a little bit more about some of these things and some of the other things we haven't gotten to mm-hmm. um but if people want to find out a little bit more about you paul or some of the things that you've mentioned are there places that they can go to find out um... yeah i've got got my website i'm on facebook and instagram as well it's roebuck drums um will you put a link i'll add a link in yeah, yeah so cool um, rather than me spelling it out for them but yeah they'll so you'll put a link in but um and if people want to talk to me about anything cool yeah i'm happy to discuss things with people um they can contact me and send me a message and we'll have a chat about anything we've discussed today or anything further cool amazing thank you so much for coming on and spending an hour with us and sharing uh, your knowledge your insight yeah, it was expertise as well <laughs> it, it was fine because when we spoke about it and i was like oh are we going to be able to talk for an hour about it I feel like you go you go through peaks don't you because there's um like that uh period of like bits that we know that we want to talk about know that we want to get to and then you sort of discover bits along the way as well so I think definitely feels like we've talked about loads of stuff that we wanted to but I can also think oh there's a few things it would be cool to talk a little bit more about and that we've got time another time to to Mm -hmm. go through and do that so no hopefully everyone's enjoyed hearing and we've got places to go to to go and find out about paul as well so thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your insights thank you for having me These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. People just want to know that they just want to know that they're safe to talk and share these things. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.